Hello, 11.30. It is a new term, and last week I had a catch-up with one of our student pastors, Annie, and I asked her a question because I was a little bit curious. I, I asked her, what do you think is the ache inside every student's heart? What is the ache inside every student's heart? And she paused for a few moments and she thought for a little bit. And then she said to me, I think the ache inside a lot of students' hearts is for community and belonging. That being a student in London is quite challenging. That loneliness and isolation are real things that a lot of young people are going through and that every young person is longing for connection, for meaning and for purpose. And when you layer a cost of living crisis on top of that, our young people can't afford to go out, they can't afford to connect and socialise and that just makes everything worse. And the next day, Annie sent me an email and in it was a link to a document. And in March of 2022, the mayor of London's office commissioned a report called Reconceptualizing Loneliness in London. It is um, a 43-page report. And the data and the research show that 700,000 people in London feel or experience severe loneliness. That's one in 12 people. And severe loneliness is a little bit different from mild loneliness, which is what all people experience at some point in their lives. Severe loneliness is described as painful and debilitating. When someone will describe themselves as feeling lonely, often or always. And the data also shows that London more so than any other part of the UK, is far more susceptible to people experiencing severe loneliness. And what the research showed is that there are five major associative factors connected to loneliness. They are, um, if you are acutely poor, if you are single and live on your own, if you are deaf or have a disability, if you're going through a major life change, a significant life event like losing your job, becoming ill, experiencing bereavement, or having a major relationship breakup, or if you've just moved to London, that can make things very challenging, or if you've experienced prejudice, or you feel different to the people around you, those five factors make it far more likely that you will experience severe loneliness. But the other interesting thing in this report is that they also looked at people who were okay, who live in London and don't experience severe loneliness. And they did a bit of research and they found that people who don't experience severe loneliness have what is known as the framework of four. So there are two qualities and two shields that basically insulate you and protect you from severe loneliness. And the, the two qualities are social connectedness. That means having a lot of good social connections. 
and a sense of belonging, the feeling that you fit into the world around you and you feel purposeful and optimistic. And the two protective shields which guard you against severe loneliness are a support network. That's people you're close to, whom you can rely on, who you talk to and trust. And the last thing is psychological resilience, which means a way of seeing the world that enables you to cope with setbacks. So the framework of four is social connectedness, a sense of belonging, a support network, and psychological resilience. And when I heard that definition about psychological resilience, a way of seeing the world that enables you to cope with setbacks, it suddenly, it suddenly hit me. Because today I want to offer you a way of seeing the world that is going to help you cope with setbacks, challenges, and hardship. Now, it's not based on psychological theory because I am not a trained psychologist. But this way of seeing the world is anchored in biblical truth. And our passage today is Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 25, which, which says this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. How does this passage help us to reframe our perspective? And what does our Christian faith offer to us to help us see the world? in a different way. I think it boils down to one thing. And if you remember nothing else in the next 20 minutes, maybe take away this one thing. It is all about relationship. It is all about relationship. Relationship with God and then relationship with one another. I believe the key to a meaningful life a life worth living is a life that is deeply relational, that's connected to God and connected with others. You know, the most important decision you will make in your life is not who you will marry. It's not where you go to university or where you go to school. It's not what job you will take. It's not what you can do to make the most amount of money. It's not even how many children will I one day want to have. The most important decision in your life is to choose to have a relationship with Jesus. Scholars think that the book of Hebrews is a bit like a, a mini sermon. And if there was one main idea that the book of Hebrews tries to convey to Jewish Christians in the early church, it's this one idea. Do not walk away from Jesus. You know, at the time, Jewish Christians were going through quite a severe period of persecution. 
And if Christians put their faith and trust in Jesus, if they started gathering and worshipping publicly with other Christians, it is very likely they would have been persecuted and ostracised. And at that time, a lot of Jewish Christians were kind of weighing it up. And they were kind of thinking, maybe I should just go back to Judaism. You know, life would be a lot more easier. There's a lot more safety. There's a lot more security. And if I just go back to an old way of life, there's a lot more worldly benefit. But the author of Hebrews, and I cannot express this enough, is literally urging the audience to not walk away from Jesus. Do not go back to old ways of life which do not align to Jesus or the Jesus lifestyle, even if it is costly. Because Jesus is who he really says that he is. Jesus really is the Son of God. Jesus is the one who holds the words of eternal life. Jesus is the one who will quench the deepest thirst within you. He is the one who will stick closer to you than a brother. And he is the friend who will lay down his life for you. He is the only one who can bring you into a relationship with the living God. He is the friend who shows up when it matters. He is the friend who is present, who promises never to forsake or leave you. And he is the one who has gone through every form of human hardship and suffering and can empathise with you in your struggles, in every season, in every battle, in every challenge. You have one who stands in the fire next to you and is not going anywhere. No matter how life may feel right now for you, Jesus is completely committed to you. You know, Jesus doesn't say that following him will be easy. And following Jesus doesn't lead to an easy life. But there is no one else that I know who has given me love, connection, purpose, and meaning like Jesus. When I encounter his presence, when I worship There is nothing else in this world that can ever compare with the closeness I feel to God. When I feel his presence, when I feel his closeness, that is what I know I was created for. And that changes everything. You may not feel confident of very much today, but you can be confident of this. You can draw near to God because of Jesus. You are invited into the innermost circle of love between Father, Son, and Spirit. Many of us want to be invited into the inner circle. Maybe I want to get into that group over there or that group over there. You can stop searching because you have already been invited to the innermost circle of love. Right here, friends. You were created for this kind of connection and you were also designed for meaningful connection with others. Which brings me on to the subject of the church. 
I don't know about you, but I hear a lot of talk about the church, a lot of opinions about the church, about what's going well in the church and what is a problem. And actually, I've had many conversations in the past three years with people about this subject of the church. It's not working for me. Or I've been deeply hurt and wounded, and I don't know if I can ever go back. And I've been wrestling with what is the church for quite some time. C.S. Lewis writes this, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men and women to Christ and to make them little Christs. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is ultimately the great priest and Jesus is the head of God's house. And when I was writing this talk, the two words that came to me were relationship and realignment. Because I think God is realigning his church right now. I think he's doing a new thing. Don't put your hope in a human leader. Place your hope in Jesus because Jesus is the head of this house and Jesus is at the centre of this community. Look to Jesus and Jesus first and foremost. When Jesus calls us into relationship with him, he begins to create a radically different kind of community around him. It's not a club with insiders and outsiders. It's a community that's marked by love and doing good and a culture of encouragement and sincere friendship and deep connection, community and belonging and healthy commitment. I've heard it said that there is no relationship without risk and there is no community without commitment. And I think one of the biggest questions facing us in the West today is will I choose individualistic freedom or will I choose loving community? Will I choose to do what I want, whenever I want it, however I want to do it, regardless of the impact of others? Me first. Is that my choice? And I, I know, because I've been there, that when you live with that kind of mindset, it ultimately leads to loneliness, isolation and emptiness. But if you choose loving community, which is what you were designed for, where you dare to, to be known by others, where you dare to commit to others in a healthy way, when you want to be a part of advancing God's kingdom, where the posture is not me first, but you first. That is an amazing thing. You know, every time I think of Jesus on the cross, that's God saying to us, to you and me, you first. You first. God moving towards you. Jesus moving towards you in love, in vulnerability, in self-sacrifice. You first. And that truth changes everything. 
That truth changes the way we see the world, it changes the way we see ourselves, and it changes the way we see one another. In Hebrews 10.25, the writer says this, let us not give up meeting together. And the original word in the original language means episunagoge, episunagoge, which is where we get the phrase synagogue. And synagogue means congregation. And there is a distinct difference between the word congregation and aggregation, okay? Aggregation is when people gather in the same space to listen to a talk, to go to Wembley Stadium and listen to Taylor Swift. That's an aggregation. An aggregation is a bit like a bag of marbles, like this bag of marbles. You see all these marbles are in the same bag um, and they're slipping and sliding over each other, but they're not connected. They're in the same space, but they're not connected to one another. That's an aggregation. And that is not what we are called to. We are called to be a congregation. And a congregation has been described a bit like a bunch of grapes. I know, it's quite a big bunch. Um, look at every grape in this bunch. It's, every grape is distinct. But actually, every grape is connected to the other grapes through the vine. You know, it's, it's such a healthy picture of, um, of community, I think. In a Jesus-centered community, we don't just gather together to hear a talk. We don't just gather together and have an experience in worship with people around us. We are connected to each other. We eat together. We pray together. We know each other. We encourage each other. We spur each other on. We share each other's problems. We carry each other's burdens. That is what community and congregation is all about. And every single person has a part to play. I think God is doing a new thing. I think God is flattening the playing fields. Everyone gets to play. Do you know if you don't come to church, if you don't log on and type in the chat, someone here will miss out on the thing God wants to give them. Do you know when you come, you come with a prophetic word or a word of encouragement for somebody else and that person needs to receive that. So everyone gets to play. It's mutual. And this is what it means to be a part of the community and that is what I think God is doing in this season. You know, when I think about Jesus, when he walked the face of the earth 2,000 years ago, I think he did a lot of hanging out. I think he did a lot of kind of connecting, sharing his life with others. You know, Jesus left a legacy by forming a small group. Jesus himself did that. And Jesus says these words to us today. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with you. That is a promise. And he who promised 
is faithful. When I talk to Archie and Sam, their heart is for everyone at HTB to find friendship, to be known, to be joined in, to be part of this bunch of grapes and to play your part in advancing God's kingdom. And we recognize that, look, it's going to look different for different people. Everyone's in a different stage of life. Everyone's got different things going on. For some, it's finding a connect group and meeting in person every week. For others, it's reaching out to another colleague, a Christian colleague in the workplace, and simply meeting up to walk and pray together. It looks different for every person, but it's time to get connected because that is what Jesus is inviting us to in this season. If I'm really honest, being around people is not always easy. It's actually a little bit messy. I think we all know that deep down. Many of us will have been disappointed or hurt by someone at some point in our lives. We experience our deepest wounds and our deepest healing in relationship. And I was reading um, something by John Maxwell, who is a leadership coach, and he said this one thing that has stayed with me ever since I read it. He says this, we should be careful to get out of an experience only the wisdom that is in it and to stop right there. Do not let a bad experience become a lifetime experience. And John Maxwell tells a story about when he was in his 20s. He was a young leader and he had this team member and he loved this guy. He mentored him. He invested in him. He poured everything into this young guy on his team. And then he had to fire him. And he said it was one of the most difficult things he'd ever had to do. And that whole experience hurt him so much that he said, I will never let this happen to me ever again. And he continued to lead, but on the outside, he may have looked the same. But inside, he knew he was keeping people at arm's length. You know, inside, he was like, I'm, I'm just not going to let people in. And he writes this, I built walls to protect myself from further hurt. And as a result, I stopped investing in people. After a few months, I realized that through this process of disconnecting, I valued and loved people less. I was distancing myself because I had experienced trauma but I know that if I had stayed on the same course, my life would become a tragedy. I had to begin to love and value people again. It took some time, but I regained my trust in others. Take the wisdom out of the experience and stop right there. Because you've got to let people into your life. That is what you were designed Four, I have loved reading a book by Johnny Gumbel called Loved, 
which I highly recommend. And um, in this book, Johnny writes, it's actually a book on Romans, but he writes this. When you enter a room, you can either look for the most important people or the most attractive people or the safest people and gravitate towards them. Or you can look around for anyone who might feel like they least belong or are least valuable and move towards them. Because this is how Jesus loved people. Jesus was at the very heart of the universe. He knew that he was loved by the Father. And so you never get the impression in the Gospels that Jesus was trying to get invited to all the right parties or be seen with the right people or involved with the people who make the important decisions. He knew he was loved. And so he went to the margins, to the people who were excluded, whether on the basis of gender or ethnicity or illness or their own bad decisions. No matter how far we flee from God, he brings us from the edge to the center. And this is how we are to love the world, looking to make sure no one is excluded and no one is left out. I have a dream that HTB might one day become a place of social connections, a place of deep belonging, a place where there is a network of support for every Londoner who is severely lonely. I have a dream that every severely lonely Londoner might encounter the love of Jesus, might be filled with the Holy Spirit and start to have a meaningful relationship with him. And because of friendship with Jesus, which changes lives, because I know friendship with Jesus has transformed my own life, that every lon lonely Londoner might know that they are loved, that they belong, and develop a psychological resilience that is based on the truth and the identity that they are a deeply loved child of God and that they are never alone. Can you imagine what might happen if 700,000 people who experience severe loneliness in London encounter Jesus? Our city would be transformed. So what are we going to do? What are we going to do? You don't just go to church. You are the church. You are the church. You are the hands and feet of Jesus. And Jesus is calling us to a new thing. He's calling you 
and he's calling me. It's time for the church to rise up. It's time for us to rise up. It's time to connect. It is all about relationship and it can only ever really be about relationship. Relationship with God and relationship with others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.